This project is supported by the Edmonton Heritage Council and the City of Edmonton. I'm a woman in Alberta. Perhaps your daughter or sister, your mother or grandmother. I'm your best friend in the world. I am 50. I'm a distant cousin. I'm the newcomer in town. I live in a high-rise apartment in downtown Edmonton. I am 23. Or on a cattle ranch in the foothills of the Rockies. Or on a dairy farm in the Peace Country. I am 37. I grew up on a Métis settlement near Lac La Biche. Or near a military base at Cold Lake. Or on a suburban street in Calgary. I am 84. I am your neighbor in Medicine Hat or Grand Prairie. Fort Chippewan or Pincher Creek. Crowsnest Pass or Fort McMurray. Slave Lake or the Siksika Nation. Edson or Rocky Mountain House. Lethbridge or Lloydminster. Stetler or the Saddle Lake First Nation. Wainwright or Big Valley. I am 42. I moved here from a distant corner of Canada. I am an immigrant from Ethiopia or Chile, from China or Ukraine. I am 17. I am the receptionist in your office or the cashier at your corner store. I am a successful businesswoman or a struggling artist a high school student, or a lab technician. I am the prostitute who stands in the corner at midnight. I am the nurse with three kids to raise. I am an addict in prison. I am a retired school teacher with grandchildren. I am 23. I am 50. I am 84. I am 37. I am 42. I am 17. I saw a poster in the early winter of 2004. Writers wanted, it said. This book will celebrate the lives and experiences of women who have struggled with challenges and yet live rich and joyful lives. The poster said the book would raise funds for the prevention of family violence and abuse across Alberta. It asked for stories and poems based on true events. I sat down and wrote my story. It wasn't easy for me but it is time I spoke for myself. This is the first thing you need to know about me. I am stronger than you think. There are thousands of women in Alberta like me. It is our turn to tell you what happened to us and why. We are standing together. Listen to us. The following stories and poems are just a handful of the hundreds that flooded into the Alberta Council of Women's Shelters office in downtown Edmonton in 2004. It's not far from where they were recorded over this past fall and spring at the Edmonton Community Foundation, before COVID halted this project, as it did so many others. Unfortunately, women and families experiencing violence and abuse are in even more danger under lockdown I would direct any listeners who would like to learn more about domestic violence to go to acws.ca. The Alberta Council of Women's Shelters, or ACWS, was originally founded in 1983. The idea for this book was sparked around the 30th anniversary of ACWS by Iris Evans, then Alberta Minister of Children's Services, and Executive Director and former Edmonton Mayor Jan Reimer, who had planned to make a book of Alberta women's stories a kind of chicken soup for the Alberta woman's soul. 
It took two years and the painstaking labor of the editor Linda Goyette, who wrote the previous piece, I Am Someone You Know, as well as the help of her daughter. But the result was this book of stories of and by women called Standing Together, Women Who Speak Out About Violence and Abuse. The stories and poems demonstrate some of the evocative range of responses included in Standing Together. From Nothing is Impossible, by the oldest storyteller, the then 84-year-old Métis elder Alvina Labuquin Strasberg, raised in the hamlet of Fort McMurray, population 300, read by her daughter Gladys Avery. To the Breaking Point, by Andrea Fickert, who was only in her mid-twenties when she wrote this piece that inspired the collection's title, and which she read at its two book launches. She also provided the book's epigraph. I know who I am. I'm that woman who reached her breaking point, and after a good cry, I stood. Mary T's You Are Never Too Old to Start Over recounts her experience at Hilltop House, a former shelter that was coincidentally housed in the building that is now the Edmonton Community Foundation. The poems are Laurie Mizek's Dedication, Olga Kostopoulos' Tar Pits, and Yuriko Kitamura's Buddha's Mercy. All of them are shared with permission from Brindle and Glass, a literary imprint of Touchwood Editions. My name is Gladys Avery. I'm the daughter of Alvina Labucane Strasberg. I'm going to read her story this morning. In June of 1921, I was born in Owl River, which is located about 14 miles north of Lacklebish, Alberta. We moved to Fort McMurray when I was six months old. My parents were hardworking Métis people with a strong Christian background. Fort McMurray was a hamlet of about 300 people, of which a majority were Aboriginal. When I started school in 1927, I couldn't speak English because our language spoken at the time was Cree. All of the children were the same. I had to drop out of school when I finished grade 8 because if we had to further our education, we had to move to Edmonton, which no one could afford. I grew up happy, and we all had to work to help the family. I babysat my little sisters while my mother cleaned house for the bush pilot's wives. I grew up fast, and by the time I was 16, I was married to a man 11 years older than myself. He was a trapper and made good money. My parents thought he was a good man and would make a good living. I really did not want to get married, as I did not know anything about life, not like the children of today. I got pregnant soon after I was married. I was left alone most of the time, because he would go trapping and stay away for weeks. One of my brothers would stay with me, although I had very little to eat, and when my husband came home and sold his furs, we would live for, well for a while. The one day he came home drunk, I did not know what was wrong with him. But my father just happened to come along and told me he was drunk. We had never seen anyone drunk, and I did not know anything about alcohol. But soon I learned fast. After my first son was born, I was moved out to the bush about 30 miles north of Fort McMurray, never seeing anyone for days or weeks. There I started my days of sorrow and hardship. And by the time I was 24, I had four children. Being married to an alcoholic is not easy. He would come home and threaten to kill us with his knives and guns. 
There was nothing I could do because there was no help like there is today. When I knew he was in the community and he did not get home, I would start to shake because I was terrified. If it were not for the threat with his weapons, I would not have been scared because he was a small man and when he was drinking, I could get the best of him. I was there to protect my children and to keep them fed, safe, and warm. I trapped squirrels and weasels because I was very handy with a gun. I'd sell my fur to the store for food. I also shot partridges and rabbits to eat. Once in a while, he would bring moose meat home, but he did not want any responsibility at all. To keep him in good humor, I would kill myself working, trying to satisfy him when he was home. I had no choice if I wanted to live. There was nowhere to turn, and I felt trapped. Then one day, his aunt, who lived about five miles from us, came to visit. She started telling me about the women he had was having affairs with. The community was growing. There were more people moving in, but no one lived close to us. The little shacks where we lived in were not the best housing, but I kept them as clean as I could with what I had. I was lucky my children were healthy except for colds and little illnesses that children get because there were no doctors. I lived with him for 18 years. By then, my eldest son was 17 and working for the forestry. My oldest daughter was 16 going to school in Fort McMurray, and the two younger, a boy 14 and a girl 12, were going to school in Anzac where we lived. One night he brought some friends home, and they had been drinking from liquor would order from Fort McMurray. I'd had enough. I got the strength from somewhere and decided to leave. So I packed a suitcase with what I could. He did not fight back because his friends were there, and he did not want them to know what he was. He was also surprised that I suddenly had the strength to stand up to him. I borrowed five dollars for train fare and went to my mother's in Fort McMurray. I stayed there for two months, and then I made a deal with my brother and his wife to take my two children until school finished in June, and then send them to me. I left, and I went to Edmonton, where I stayed with my sister. I was free at last. After a week, I had a job at a dry cleaner's for 65 cents an hour. It was hard for me at first because I had no self-esteem and I was very timid and backward. At that time, I vowed to myself I would get to the top, and I think I succeeded. I was living in a little apartment for $12.50 a week. I could not pay too much with the wages I was getting, but at least I was away from the violence and abuse. My parents taught me to work hard and pay for what I wanted, so I never asked anyone for help. When I think back to the years spent being an abused housewife, I thank God for helping me. I lost my eldest son when he was 24 years old. I still have three children, and I'm a proud grandmother of six children and great-grandmother of 18 children. Abused women should never give in to their tormentors because there is so much help and opportunity today, which I did not have when I needed it. At 84 years old, I have a good life, and I thank God for my good health. I will keep on helping children, families, and single parents, and maybe I can make someone's life happier. Alvina Labucane Strasberg was a Métis elder with a long record of community service in Edmonton and northern Alberta. For many years, she worked as an employment recruiter for St. Crude Canada, and she served as a board member and volunteer for many other agencies and organizations, including Edmonton's first women's shelter. 
A longer version of her story is told in her autobiography, Memories of a Métis Woman. Gladys Avery was born in Fort McMurray, St. Gabriel's Hospital in 1945. Her family moved around a lot, for when her father was not trapping, they had to find work elsewhere. She started her schooling in Perryvale, Alberta, where they had a homestead. She went to various schools, finishing grade 12 in Edmonton at St. Joseph's High School. She started working for Alberta Government Telephones, now TELUS, shortly after graduating and stayed with them for 27 years. She returned to Fort McMurray with her husband in 1979, then moved to Anzac, working in the oil sands, for Syncrude and Nexon, fully retiring in 2013. I am so blessed to have had my mother to guide me through the years. She was very loving and devoted to her family. She was also very protective and strong-willed. She was my role model, and I respected and loved her dearly. The Breaking Point, Andrea Fickert. You really don't know what you're made of until you're pushed beyond the limit of your endurance. You can guess, but guessing doesn't quite cut it. You hold up, or you don't. What quality is it that leaves some women standing in the aftermath of a situation that destroys other women? You might claim it's a matter of will. Maybe it's nothing more than possessing a stubborn, tenacious streak that refuses to lay down and call it quits. In that split second, head bowed and on your knees, you break, or you don't. You climb back on your feet and take the next step, or you curl up in the dirt and surrender. How strong is the woman who has seen herself pushed beyond pride, beyond pain, beyond fear, and has walked away from it a better and more complete person? I've felt my cheek in the dirt, against the very line of my breaking point, and I cried until my heart broke. I've lived that split second, the moment where there is only one truth remaining. The truth I came away with was that it was not in me to lie down and surrender. When there was nothing left but my faith, and that faith threatened to fail me, I pulled myself to my feet. I took one step, just one. That step led to another, and another. I'm not going to tell you it was pretty to watch, because it wasn't. I didn't stride boldly into the future with my head held high and all that bull. I crawled. I dragged myself inch by inch to a place where I could once again stand. I can tell you what it was in that moment for me. It was an unswerving faith in myself. What it all boils down to in the end is that I've seen what I'm made of. I know who I am. I? I'm that woman who reached her breaking point and... After a good cry, I stood. Andrea Fickert started on the street in her early teens and has seen the darker side of abusive relationships. As a single mother with three children, Andrea owned her own business to support her family for 15 years, and her most recent adventure includes joining the Canadian Armed Forces in her 40s. Buddha's mercy, Yuriko Kitamura, night falling, a darkling fog moving in the house, blackout, no light. I know a spider thread holds my life. It can snap at any time. In the children's room, time freezes. There is a sweet smell of innocence, the peaceful Rhythm of breathing. A beat echoes in midnight air. The night clock ticks. 
time beat into emptiness. Is this my own heart beating? Does time still exist? I will my hand to clutch the single woven strand. From a deep, dark hole, a fallen soul pulls hand over hand on a silken thread and rises to new life. Yuriko Igarashi Kitamura is a painter in Edmonton. Born in Hokkaido, Japan, she immigrated to Alberta in 1963 and began her career as an artist. Although she is best known for her technique of dye painting on rice paper, she usually works in watercolors. Her art has been exhibited in North America, Europe, and Asia. One day, I was talking to my friend who was going through emotional times. To comfort her, I told her she isn't alone, and this isn't the end of the world. While I was telling her of my experience, I suddenly, I heard a voice inside of me saying, Did this really happen? Then I realized that the past was in the distance. Some past memories are frozen, kept inside like ice. Now ice is starting to melt, changing shape, become less heavy. I still have a scar inside. Until now, I couldn't write down some of this experience. But I decide to bring them out. Someday, I hope, these things too will evaporate into air like water. Dedication. This is for the woman who will not read this poem, the one whose lidded eyes were once question marks, the older sister now younger. This is for her and the others like her who stood on the edge of a landscape, mapping a way in and out. For the woman in the alley bent over trash whose address is her bones, the woman in the park whose child stretches her heart thin as toffee, the one under lamplight packing small boxes so her husband won't notice she's leaving. This is for them, and the ones so full of spring her bare hands pull back soil to let her garden out. The woman washing dishes and the one plaiting her daughter's thick hair into gold streams. And this is for the woman who will not read this. The one who hooked wool into landscapes, reaching for rust, green, and bleached blue sky. This is for her and the one whose eyes have turned to lemon seed and must look away. And for the one who won't, this is for all of them. For the woman baking bread, rising before sunlight, letting the dog, scarred by time's impatience, out and in and out again. The one who won't trap the pregnant skunk, even though her night lawn is a ribbon of black and white scent. The woman whose hole in her breast is a moon, not a wound pressing near her heart. For the old woman whose clothesline, once full of shirts and sheets, now holds only hers. The grandmother 
whose hips are rusted hinges, yet moves across a room to take her daughter's hand. For the mother who tells her daughter she's a good mother, for the mother who can't, for the mother who won't. This is for them, all of them, and for the woman who will not read this poem, the one trapped in a photograph with sisters, eyes breathing similar light, each reaching for something beyond the lens, something unnamed outside the frame. Laurie Misek is an award-winning writer and photographer. The Edmonton-based writer has published two books, a poetry collection and a work of creative nonfiction, A Promise of Salt, by Koto Books in 2002, which won the Wilfred Eggleston Award for nonfiction. You are never too old to start over. In 27 years of physical and mental abuse, I felt I had no way of escaping the situation, as I felt he would find me and carry out some of his threats. One night he wished out loud at midnight that I was dead. This was the night before my great escape. On my morning visit to my doctor on December 16, 1986, I was told I couldn't go home anymore due to the condition I was in. Terrified, I agreed to go to the Royal Alexandra Hospital's pastoral care lady, who would place me in a very safe place. A place called Hilltop House was agreed upon. Even though I was not pregnant and unmarried like the rest of the girls, I was given a new name immediately and became March Toby for the rest of my stay there. The doors were kept locked at all times. Only staff were allowed to answer the door when we rang to enter. To this day, I have kept my papers of all the general rules of the house. I felt safe there, but I had to have so many of my personal items locked up in the office and even follow curfews like the girls there. If I went out on an overnight pass, all my belongings had to be packed up and stored. Because there was no guarantee my bed would be available when I got back. So much for my first Christmas. My two adult children and their families were assured I was safe at last. Freedom and peace of mind was soon disrupted when the staff informed me a man kept repeatedly calling and yelling to speak to me. The police were called, and his call was put on the speakerphone. I confirmed it was his voice. They informed me that he should be arrested for breaking the restraining order. I informed them of his volatile temper, plus many, many guns with ammunition. I did not want to endanger them. The police stressed the importance of having absolutely no contact with him and to please get other clothes in case I was being watched. After many sessions in groups at the house and counseling at the Royal Alec, I felt strong enough to contact a lawyer. The whole process of getting a divorce was very stressful. 
and my soon-to-be ex-husband tried every trick in the proceedings to block it. By July 28, 1987, the divorce was final. Once I could hold my head up high and meet people eye to eye, I applied at Linwood Extended Care to do volunteer visits with the elderly. I soon found I had the compassion and sensitivity to work with the elderly. Then I registered at Alberta Vocational College for the residential aid program. I graduated with the top student award, the Alberta Northlands Achievement Award. By July 8, 1988, I was on staff at Lindwood as casual and then part-time. Wanting full-time work in order to make ends meet, I applied at St. Michael's Extended Care Center in 1990, first as a nursing attendant. When a chance came up to become a recreation therapy attendant, I gladly accepted, as some of the staff had language barriers with residents, and I could communicate in Ukrainian. I had been at the center for 14 years. I truly wished to continue until my retirement in March of 2006. All in all, I feel very fortunate to have risen above the years of abuse and control. I am free to see and visit all my old and new friends, and best of all, my wonderful two children and their spouses. I now have three grandchildren I deeply love and treasure. I do refuse to date or have any male relationships, and I feel good about that. I still feel very uneasy if I think I might see him with no one around. Mary T. did continue to work at St. Michael's Extended Care Center until her retirement in 2006. She lives independently, singing in her church choir and staying busy. Her experience at Hilltop House also led to her first job volunteering at Winhouse. She recently returned to Hilltop House, now the Edmonton Community Foundation, to recall her time there. Her story features in the spring 2020 issue of Edmonton Community Foundation's Legacy in Action magazine. Tar pits. I'm afraid that if my demons leave me, my angels will desert me, too. Reiner Maria Rilke. The needles are losing their efficacy. The doctor has suggested hypnosis to free the chi blocked by childhood trauma. Can those tar pits be siphoned out? And could the attendant demons then collect unemployment insurance? Or would they just dig new depressions in the sponge that calls itself a brain? Might my angel then call for reinforcements who would come trooping in white wings a jostle to clean the place and earn their keep by fending off the demons? Or, if it were that easy, could one say, sotto voce, magic time, pass a hand in front of the face and carry on like an actor, knowing precisely where the lights are, but acknowledging only what lies beyond them. Olga Kostopoulos taught creative writing at the University of Alberta in Edmonton. Her writing has appeared in many journals in Canada, the U.S., and Australia. She published two collections of poems, Muskox and Goat Songs, in 1996, 
and The Tiger Side of Night in 2006. My name is Adela Burke, and it has been a privilege to read and then hear these women's stories, to see the strength and resilience of women in situations which we often don't want to look at if we are fortunate enough to have a choice. They are also full of hope. Looking to the future, my own hope would be that today, if these Writers Wanted posters went up again, ACWS would receive more stories from queer, trans, and two-spirit people, as well as allies and abusers, thanks to the advent of programs like Leading Change at ACWS and other men's programming in the past 15 years. A world free of violence and abuse requires as many people standing together as we can to create systemic change. <laughs>